0: it's good to be back with all of you this morning our family enjoyed our time away and together thank you to pastor curtis who's not here today but thank you to pastor curtis for preaching these past two weeks i've listened to one of those sermons on romans 8 28 and i was blessed so thank you by the turn of the fourth century saint augustine of Hippo in Africa had established himself as a premier theologian and philosopher and he was once asked what the three most central principles of Christianity were and his response has become famous it was first humility second humility and third humility Humility, that attitude which Paul called the Philippians to in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 2. You must be humble, Paul has said. You must count others more significant than yourselves, he said in verse 3. You must, he said in verse 4, look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. There are not many examples of this today. There are not many examples of humility, even, I would say, amongst professing Christians. It's not when you understand what, Lord willing, we'll understand today biblical humility. Humility is not exactly a cherished American virtue. And so we do not hear about those who are humble near as much as we hear about those who are proud. But in today's text, verses 5-8 through eight of Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul is going to present to us the ultimate example of humility. If you had no other example of humility, you would have the only example you need in Jesus Christ. If you want to understand what humility is, look to Jesus. If you want to know what it looks like to resist selfish ambition and Embrace the significance of others. Look to Jesus. If you want to understand what it looks like to put the interests of others before your own interests, then look to Jesus, which is exactly what we'll do this morning. But before I preach this sermon, we should pray together. Will you bow your heads with me and pray? Our Father in heaven, thank you for the word that you have given us, and for those of us who are believers, the spirit you have given us, so that we would understand your word today. So, help our minds to know you more this morning. Help our hearts to love you more this morning, and would you bend our wills. To your will, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, which if you're using one of our church Bibles, you'll find on page 636. And we're looking at verses 5 through 8. In chapter 2, verse 5, we have Paul's exhortation, which is, we'll see an exhortation to humility. It is a command, another word for exhortation, to humility. And then in verses 6 through 11, we have the example of humility in Jesus Christ. So it breaks down and outlines simply. Verse 5 is the exhortation. And then verses 6 through 11 are the example of humility Jesus Christ. So let's begin with the exhortation in verse 5. Look with me. Have this mind among yourselves. Have this mind. That's the exhortation. That's the command. Have this mind. Or some of your translations, they might say, have this attitude. Or let this mind be in you. Have this attitude. Mindset, Paul is saying. Think this way, Paul is saying. Think what way? What is the common mind that we're supposed to have? What is the common attitude that we are supposed to have? Well, Paul has just told us in the previous verses. When he said, in verses 3 and 4... Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And now verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves. So Paul is exhorting us to humility. Have this mind kind of attitude and mindset that puts others first, is what Paul is saying. Let me give you Andrew Murray's definition of humility. It is famous, and rightfully so. This definition by this 19th century South African theologian is... Worthy of being famous. Humility, he said. It is perfect quietness of heart. Humility is to expect nothing, to wonder at nothing that is done to me, to feel nothing done against me. It is to be at rest when nobody praises me, and when I am blamed or despised. It is to have a blessed home in the Lord, where I can go in and shut the door and kneel to my Father in secret and am at peace as in a deep sea of calmness, when all around and above is trouble." That is exactly the attitude Paul is exhorting us to have. Now that's just part of the verse. The rest of verse 5 says this, Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. That's the whole exhortation. That's the whole verse 5, the whole command. And here are just a couple things that I'd like us to see In verse 5. Number one. That phrase. Look with me. Among yourselves. Reminds us. That this is something. We do together. As a congregation. Among yourselves. This is not. This pursuit of humility. Is not merely. Each individual's pursuit. In this room. It must be. The entire congregation's pursuit. To have this attitude, not in each of us, but among ourselves. So, Veritas Church, having this mind, this attitude among ourselves means that if we exercise humility anywhere, we must exercise humility right here. Right here. Among ourselves. Secondly, we have this phrase, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The English Standard Version, which I'm using, says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours In Christ Jesus. But if you have a King James Version, if you have a new King James Version, if you have a new American Standard Bible, all great translations, it says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So one translation says, Have this mind which is yours, In Christ, and another says, have this mind which was also in Christ. Well, here's the thing is yours, that phrase, and was also is not in the original Greek. Those are words that have been supplied by translators to help make sense of this verse in English, which translators have to do. Which means that there's no way, I don't think, that we can be certain, beyond a shadow of a doubt, which translation got it right, especially because both are true. Both those translations are true. Let me explain. The ESV says, have this mind of humility, which is yours In Christ Jesus. And that is true. When God made you a Christian. He changed you. When God made you a Christian. He transformed you. This is why the Bible talks about. Your conversion, your coming to Jesus in these kinds of ways. It says, You were made a brand new creation, you were born again. You had crossed over from darkness to light. You have crossed over from death to life. It's dramatic. You were transformed from the inside out. And you were, when God made you a Christian, you were given new insights. You were given new affections. You were given new capabilities, one of which is humility. A true Christian possesses the kernel of this attitude of humility through his union with Christ. It is yours in Christ Jesus. When you were changed, when you were united to Him, a fruit of that in a Christian is Humility. So Christian, Paul may be saying, this mind is yours. Now live that way. The King James Version says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. That is also true. That is true. Christian, this mind of humility, it was the mind of Christ. We're going to see that today. That was the mind of Christ. And as you pursue humility, you must look to Jesus as your ultimate example. So both are true. Both of those are true. You possess humility. It's yours. And you must also pursue humility, which was also in Christ. So Jesus is the model of humility, and He is the means of humility. Jesus exemplifies humility and He enables you for humility. That's verse 5. Paul is exhorting the Philippians and of course exhorting us to humility. And now in verses 6 through 11, Paul puts before us the example of Christ. Verses 6 through 8 tell of the humiliation of Christ, and verses 9 through 11, tell of the exaltation of Christ. He descended, and then He ascended. He started in glory in heaven. He came down to earth, and He went back up to glory in heaven. We're only going to get through verses 6 through 8 this morning. And then, Lord willing, verses 9 through 11 next Sunday. And these are the verses, 6 through 8, that summarize the humiliation of Christ. And this is the example that Paul sets before us as he exhorts us to humility. Let's read all three of these verses together. Verses 6 through 8. Who. on a cross. I don't know if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon. I haven't been since I was a kid. I'd like to go back again. I remember it. I think it's one of those places, if you've seen it, you can't forget it. Of course, I've seen a lot of pictures. Imagine Christ standing at the edge of the grand canyon in all his glory and then imagine him stepping over the edge and following a trail that will take him lower and lower And lower, all the way to the very bottom of the Colorado River. And we're beginning to imagine the humiliation of Christ. To go as far down as he could go, to go as low as he could go. Three verses. In verse 6, we are told a shocking thought in the mind of Christ. A shocking thought that prompted the actions of verse 7 and 8. So in verse 6 is a shocking thought thought in the mind of Christ. In verse 7, we're told that Jesus emptied Himself. And then in verse 8, we're told that Jesus humbled Himself. So first, let's look at the shocking thought that was in the mind of Christ. Verse 6. Who, though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing To be grasped. This is a very revealing passage. Think about this with me. This is a very revealing passage because it is telling us about a thought that was in the mind of the Son of God before he came to earth. That's revelation. And we don't get that to know a thought. Thought that was in the mind of God before he descended to earth, unless God tells us what that thought is. So we're taken here by Paul into the mind of Christ, and it is a shocking thought. It is a shocking disregard. It is the inception of the gospel. Be, because if the Son of God doesn't think this thought in heaven, then He doesn't come to earth. And He doesn't get born. And He doesn't become a servant. And He doesn't suffer. And He sure does not die. If first, there is not this Thought in his mind. So let's break this notion down so that we understand and feel the magnitude of it. Look at verse 6 again with me. Here's the first half of the sentence. He, of course, that is Jesus. He was in the form of God. So stop with me. Jesus was. Before Jesus was born, He was. That cannot be said about any other human being. Before Eric Myers was born, He wasn't. Before you were born, you weren't. Before Jesus was born, He was. What was He? Where was He? He was God in heaven. He was God in heaven. He was the Son of God in heaven. And the Son of God is God and has always been God. Think about this as far as your mind will allow you to think about it. Concentrate on this truth as deeply as you can concentrate on it. And you're going to hit walls and you're going to hit obstacles because it is, to a degree, beyond our comprehension. The Son of God, before He came to earth, was God and always was God. Our God is Trinity. Which means that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one God and are yet Three distinct persons. The Son of God did not become Jesus until He was born and His parents named Him Jesus. Before that, He always was. God in heaven. What Paul is talking about is the pre-existence of the Son of God. Hebrews 1.3 He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He, this is Christ, upholds the universe by the word of His power. Colossians one fifteen. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That's the first part of the sentence in verse 6. Jesus was the Son of God in heaven, and He, we are told, read with me, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So that is An astonishing disregard of rights and privileges. Now that sentence that I just told you, I probably spent 60 minutes on that sentence. Trying to come up with a better sentence to describe what's happening here. And that's what I could come up with. That is an astonishing disregard of rights and privileges. This means that the Son of God, before he humbled himself on earth, was in heaven as God willing to give up all of his rights and all of his privileges. Again. If the Son of God did not have this mind, and He was certainly not obligated to. Friends, if the Son of God did not have this mind, He never would have left heaven. And you would still be dead in your sin. You would be here this morning as an object of God's wrath. You would be here this morning as an eternal display of the punitive power of God. If this was not the mind of Christ. Is that your mind? Are you humble? Do you seek humility? Are you willing to give up your rights? Are you willing to give up your privileges... What are you willing to give up out of love for God and love for others? Is that your attitude? Is that kind of humility your mindset? Shame on us. to receive such love and be unwilling to give it. Shame on us. Children, kids who are here and we're so glad you're here, or teenagers who are still at home, do you love God? Do you love God? Others, would we know it by your willingness to give things up for them? Are you willing to give things up because you love God and because you love others? Will you give up the best seat in the van? Will you give up being in the front of the line? Will you help clean up? Will you get the groceries out of the car? Will you take the smallest piece of cake? It takes humility. And we have to start when we're young. This humility... Paul is telling us, is in the mind of Christ. It is a shocking disregard for his rights and privileges as God. There he stood in heaven ready to stoop for us. Ready and willing. Ready to make his downward journey. Ready to step over the edge of the Grand Canyon. Here's the next step on his journey down. Verse 7. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He emptied himself. That's a step down. Literally, this says, he made himself a nobody. The Son of God made Himself a nobody. One commentator said He gave up His environment of glory. He left heaven. He left heaven. And where did He go? What are we told? He left heaven and where did He go? All the way to earth. It would have been a step down to stop somewhere in between. Just to leave heaven is a step down. But Christ came all the way to earth. And how did He come to earth? Did He come to earth as an angel? No. He came to earth as a human being. He was, we're told, born In the likeness of men. He took on flesh. He goes lower. Not just any man did He become. But it says that He took on the form of a servant. And it seems a better translation might even be a slave. He came... And took on the form of a slave. He acted as if he was owned by all those around him. The Son of God did this. He came and acted as if he was owned By all those around him. Now just to clarify. When the Bible says that Christ emptied himself. Or some of your versions may say. Made himself nothing. That doesn't mean that the son of God stopped being God. That's so important. Or that he became less. Than God. J.B. Lightfoot said he stripped himself of the insignia of majesty. It's a good way to think about it. D.A. Carson says he was always God. He now becomes something he was not, a human being. So he doesn't stop being God, but he becomes something that he was not. This is addition, not subtraction. And Sinclair Ferguson says he emptied himself, not by subtraction of his divine attributes, but by the assumption of human nature. So Christ did not give up his divine attributes. He gave up his privileges. He abandoned his rights. He had every right to stay put in the position of power, but love drove him down. Second Corinthians eight, nine says, for, you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich. Yet for your sake, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. So there he was, a human being on earth, having taken the form of a servant. And what next? Verse 8. Finally, verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So we're, we're tracing this trail Of Christ, this humiliation of Christ. And in verse 8, we get to the very bottom. These last steps down took Christ as low as humanly possible. He died, and he didn't have to die. Death had no claim on Him. He was perfect and sinless. Death had no right to take Him, which is why, if you look carefully, it required His obedience. When I die, I don't die because I'm submitting myself to death or because I'm giving in to death or I'm obeying death. I die because I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner like my great father, Adam, and like all of you. And when I die, it is the result of me being a sinner. Sinners don't live forever. Sinners don't keep living on this earth. They decay. And they die. Jesus was perfect. He had no sin and yet he made himself Obedient, how far? To the point of death. But this final step, and Paul is emphasizing this, he did not just die. He died on a cross. We just heard this word too much to absorb the meaning of it. Do you know that in the first century, the word crucifixion would not even be uttered in polite conversation? It was like a dirty word. It evoked such horror in people when they thought of it. It was the worst form of death, the most degrading, the most humiliating form of death that anyone had ever come up with. And so you wouldn't even talk about it in polite conversation. I'm going to quote from the ESV study Bible on crucifixion. Crucifixion was not simply a convenient way of executing prisoners. It was the ultimate indignity, a public statement by Rome that the crucified one was beyond contempt. The excruciating physical pain was magnified by the degradation and humiliation. No other form of death, no matter how prolonged or physically agonizing, could match crucifixion as an absolute destruction of the person. It was the ultimate counterpoint to the divine majesty of the pre existent Christ, and thus was the ultimate expression of Christ's obedience to the Father. Let me read that last sentence again. It was crucifixion, the ultimate counterpoint. To the divine majesty of the pre existence Christ, and therefore was the ultimate expression of Christ's obedience to the Father. It was perfect, perfectly horrible. it was illegal for a Roman citizen to be crucified because it was considered so shameful and degrading and humiliating. So there our Savior is. There our Savior is at the very bottom of humiliation. He has sunk to the depths of the Colorado River. He is, as Archibald Robertson put it, at the bottom of... Rung in the ladder from the throne of God. In conclusion, what does this mean for us? Okay, so what does this mean for me? What does this mean for you? What should we do in response? We should obey God's instruction through Paul to have this mind among ourselves. That's made very plain. Have this mind, we're being told. We must walk in humility. So the question, or a question, is do you want to be humble? Do you want to be humble? Or do you want to be proud? Do you want to be great? Or do you want to be small? Do you want to be great at the cost of humility? Or do you want to be small? A Christian minister once said, I was never of any use until I found that God did not intend me to be a great man. Do you want to be humble? Or do you want to be great? Do you want to make a name for yourself? Or do you want to be humble before God? Do you want to pursue your own greatness or God's greatness? I can remember and still fall into this my desire to be great. I wanted to be a great pastor. And I was sure. I was sure as soon as I became a pastor that all I would have to do was open my mouth and thousands would come. I've been being told since the time I was 16 years old what a great speaker I was. You're such a gifted speaker. The Lord has anointed you. I didn't know what that meant, but it sounded great. And so I had dreams and I had visions of what God was going to do through me. And listen, there was an element of humility in that I, of course, wanted God to use me to influence many people for His glory. But most of it was pride. Most of it was pride. And I can remember even the first few years of this church, 2008. 2009, 2010, dozens of Monday mornings. Why isn't this church bigger? Where is everybody? And I can remember when something changed and something clicked, And the prayer was different. God, what a privilege it is if I get to preach to and pray for and pastor these 40 people. What a privilege and what an honor that I don't deserve. I was sure God wanted me to be great. God wants to be great, and only God is great, and I'm useless to Him unless I'm small. The missionary David Livingstone said, It is possible to be too big or great for God to use you, but never too small for God to use you. I hope you're encouraged by that. It is possible to be too great for God to use you, but it is not possible to be too small for God to use you. So if you have a desire for humility, if you desire to have this mind that God is calling us to, then you have been helped today in two ways. You have been given a picture of humility, and you've been given the power For humility. So number one. You have been given a picture. Verses 6 through 8. Of the mind of Christ. a, A picture of the humility of Christ. Watch Jesus. Look to Jesus. Think about Jesus sinking lower. And lower. And lower. He left heaven. He came to earth. He became a man. He became a servant. He died. He was crucified. It's unthinkable. It's unthinkable. He was willing. The Son of God was willing to consider others more significant than himself when no one was more significant than himself. God did what I can't do and have every reason to do. I struggle to count others as more significant than myself, and they are. More significant than myself. My wife is more significant than me. My children, Peyton and Brady and Jackson and Blaze and Avery and Reed, they are each. More significant than me. Every single one of you here today, you are more significant than me. And I struggle to count any of you more significant than myself. And the Son of God, who is more significant than every single one of us combined, counted you and me more significant than himself and humbled himself. Out of his great love for us. That is an example of humility. And we need that example. Because there are so few examples today. There's so few. I can remember. The end of. An NBA finals years ago. And. At the end of this particular NBA Finals, my favorite team at the time and my favorite player at the time had the trophy. It was a great day. And I can remember the ending of one game in particular where my favorite player played an unbelievably clutch game. And as the buzzer sounded, he gathered together at midcourt with all of his teammates and they celebrated and they celebrated. And then after just a few seconds, he broke away from his teammates and he jumped on the scorer's table And I don't know how else to say it but this way. He then gladly received the praise and worship of everyone in the arena. Some were chanting his name. And you know what he did? He did this. And he did this. And I I think to myself, if that man ever becomes a Christian, he will look back at that game and his effort and the victory. And he will be, and I would say should be rightly proud of what he accomplished. And then he will be so ashamed of what he did next. But those are our examples today. Those are our examples. Humility, listen, humility requires power. Humility requires power. It is not for the weak, it does not come easy. Pride comes easy. Anyone can beat their chest. Anyone can self-exalt. Anyone can point to the name on the back of their jersey. The proud are a dime a dozen, but the humble are few and far between. And so we need this example of Christ. And finally, secondly, we also have here in Christ the power for humility. This isn't just a picture of humility. This is the power for humility. Remember verse 5. Jesus is not just the model of humility. He is the means to humility. This mind, what did Paul say, is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, this mindset, this humility is impossible apart from Christ. It's just not possible. But for the Christian, it is possible too. For the love of God and others, give up your own desires. Give up your own rights. And give up your own privileges. How could I ever live in humility like this? Only by Christ. Only through Christ. I wonder if you are a Christian this morning. If you are not a Christian, you may have Christ as your model of humility, but not your means. If you have not turned from your sinful ways, if you have not turned from your sinful ideas and your sinful pursuits and turned to God and submitted to Him as your Lord, as your Savior, as your treasure, why not this morning? Why not today be the day of your salvation? Why not give up trusting in yourself and begin trusting in Jesus? I'll be up here this morning at the end of the service if you'd like to talk and pray. If you'd like to stop believing in yourself and start believing in Jesus, let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, thank You for all that You have given us in Your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank You for this example we have of humility so that we would know what it looks like to live for You and for others. Thank You for the salvation that You have given us and the help that You have given us So that we could stop pursuing our own desires, our own agendas, our own will, our own greatness, our name, and pursue you. God, in the words of John the Baptist, would you help us to decrease and you to increase? And we hope and ask all this in the great name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.